0: good morning, Aletheia Church, Uh, to all of you who are worshiping with us online this morning, which is pretty much all of you except for the two or three people here (laughs) in this empty room this morning. Uh, We love you guys, we miss you, uh, and we are longing for uh, the opportunity for us to reconvene together. Uh, I just want to share a few quick thoughts with you before I dive into our text this morning. Um, As hard as this is, let me continue uh, to reiterate this to you. Listen to the authorities, please. Uh, This is important. We need to follow what our leaders are saying, and God has given us guidance in His Word that it is right for us to do so. Uh, I want to encourage you as a church, if you call Aletheia Church your home, to gather in gospel communities this week. Um, Our gospel communities will be meeting online through Zoom conferences. Uh, Please join. We want to be checking in on you, and we want to be encouraging one another uh, as we uh, just deal with the reality of what it means to be quarantined in this time and to be practicing uh, social distancing. Uh, lastly, uh, this morning, if you did not already uh, participate in worship, sing. I know it might seem silly to sing songs out loud by yourself sitting in a living room, please do so. Uh, there's something special about, Uh, singing songs that exalt God and glorify him that our souls need and cry out for. And remember that your brothers and sisters in this church are doing the very same thing. Uh, So participate in worship throughout the week. Participate in Bible reading. Participate in prayer. Uh, We are going to be over the next several weeks uh, trying to engage you digitally to encourage you during this time um, as we practice social distancing. So engage in these disciplines uh, to fan your affections for God in this season. And so uh, before we start in on the text, I'm going to pray, and then we'll look at our text this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the fact that even though we cannot gather as a body uh, in person, that we can gather online, uh, that we can share thoughts in a chat room, that we can hear uh, the Word of God, that we can listen to worship music together, and we can be uh, participating in discipleship together as the body of Christ. Uh, but Father. Uh, I am not uh, unaware of the reality uh, that we as a society face right now, Lord, and so I want to lift that up to you in prayer right now. First and foremost, God, I want to pray for our doctors and our health care providers. God, I pray that we would get the necessary supplies to them so that they would be able to meet this pandemic head-on in the coming weeks. God, I pray that um we as a church would surround them with love, with care, with encouragement during this season as they are quite literally walking into a battlefield, Lord, um, simply because they love others and want to serve them. God, I pray for scientists and researchers who are looking for cures and looking for um, the ability to fight back this virus, God, that you would uh, give them a breakthrough, that we would see uh, either the creation of uh, antivirals that would uh, relieve the symptoms and help us to defeat it, or that we would see some sort of vaccine that uh, would lead to promise and be done in a way that is safe and healthy. God, I pray for our leaders. I pray for our leaders at the local level, the state level, the national level, and the international level, God, that we would make decisions uh, that are gonna slow the spread of uh, this virus and that will help us uh, to... Uh, really in many ways, Father, reduce the loss of human life. Father, you have given us tools, and one of those tools is to listen to our government and uh, listen to our leaders on how to best proceed, God. And so I pray that you would give them wisdom. And lastly, Father, I pray for the church. And I don't mean for Aletheia Church. I don't just mean for the leadership of this church. I I pray for the church universal, God, uh, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus in this this time, that we would both be a calming influence, uh, that we would be one that listens to reason. We would be one that would be obedient to the authorities placed over us, and we would be the people who would serve um, those who are disenfranchised and those that need help. So, Father, help us to do so. Give us wisdom when to do so. And we are expecting you to do great things uh, in the coming weeks and months and receive the glory. And I ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible at home, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 13 or your scripture journal. Uh, and I said last week that Acts 13 was going to be a two-part sermon on how we are empowered to be uh, the church. And so uh, in those first 12 verses, I, I, I said last week that we were going to be talking about the church at Antioch. And we see four things um, about the church at Antioch here in Acts chapter 13 that we can pursue in order to be the type of church that God wants us to be. And this includes being the type of church that God wants us to be in the middle of an outbreak or a pandemic. Uh, and so here are those four things that I shared with the church last week and we looked at the first two, but let me just share those with you at first. Uh, what it means to be empowered to be the church looks a lot like this, uh, that the church of Antioch gathered with intentionality Uh, that they were engaged in spirit-empowered mission, that they preached a clear message, and that they participated in gospel-centered multiplication. And so let me just review really quickly those first two points that I shared last week. The first one was this, uh, that the church at Antioch gathered with intentionality. Uh, And here's what we saw. We saw in those first three verses of Acts chapter 13 uh, that the church at Antioch was a diverse local body of believers uh, that uh, crossed many, many age ranges, they crossed cultural and uh, racial barriers, and that this diversity led them to be serious about God, it led them to be serious about worship, and it led them to be serious as a body about prayer, And and I said that we can do this even digitally just by being intentional with our time that I shared with you guys last week that now is a great opportunity to reconnect with somebody you haven't talked to in a while, that you could pick up your phone, FaceTime somebody, uh, Skype them, whatever your uh, preferred method of, uh, communication is during this time, and just talk with them, catch up with them, ask them how you can be praying for them. Uh, you can be doing this with people in your discipleship groups, in your gospel communities, but that we can be serious about gathering intentionally during this time, even without the ability to come together in large groups. Um, even last night as a church, on Friday night, Pastor Daniel and his wife Leah led us through a time of prayer as a church, and there was probably about 25 to 30 people there online, uh, remotely hanging out with us, praying, praying for the church, praying for one another, and praying for our friends and family who are all being affected by uh, this outbreak in various ways. Uh, The second thing we talked about last week was that this church was serious about being engaged in spirit-empowered mission. You see in verses 2 and 3 of Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to plant Churches in Gentile cities, and what I said last week was that uh, Paul and Barnabas had a very specific calling from the Holy Spirit, but all of us are called to be witnesses to the glory of God in Acts chapter one verse eight. And so we may not have some sport, some sort of like crazy Holy Spirit experience the way that Paul and Barnabas do, but that we are still called to witness to the glory of God and what He's doing in our lives. And so what we saw is that they went to people, they served them, they were bold but shrewd, and that as they did this. God moved and people were saved. That uh, one of the examples I shared last week was that uh, we've done some pretty simple things as a church, but one of those things is uh, we've planted a church in Barranquilla, Colombia, and that God has been faithful to us uh, in the midst of all of that, even though there's no one in our church with an expertise in international church planning and that I, as the pastor of this church, speak very little Spanish, but God has still been faithful just because we have been um to the best of our ability, obedient to the God, the call that God has put in our lives uh, to live out spirit empowered mission, and that that church has grown and is subsequently planting other churches in Colombia. And by the grace of God, more and more people will come to know Jesus because of their faithfulness. And so today, we're going to look at the last two points on what it means to be empowered to be the church. And what we're going to see is two things. The first one is we're going to see that Paul preaches a clear message consistently uh, throughout his time in church planning. And then we're going to see that the church participates in gospel-centered multiplication. And so let's look at this first point here, preaching a clear message. Uh, And we see this in Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 43. And I am not going to read all of this for you. Uh, But let me just go ahead and read uh, these three verses here and kind of lay some groundwork to understanding what Paul is doing um, as they go and begin to church plant. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Pergamum, and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now, so Paul and Barnabas go to this city called Antioch in Pisidia. What we need to understand: this is modern-day Turkey. It's different than the Antioch that they were in uh, in Syria. And what Paul and Barnabas often did whenever they would go start a new church in a new city is they would head to the local synagogue to preach to the Jews first. And so they go to the synagogue, and on a Saturday, they're, they're sitting down, they're reading from the law, and as they're sitting there, one of the, one of the leaders st- stands up and says, Brothers, if any of you have a word of encouragement for the people, say it. And Paul stands up and goes into this amazing message, which is clear, concise, and focused on Jesus. Now, I'm not gonna read the entire message to you guys, although you're gonna have plenty of time over the next couple of days to read that yourself if you want to. Uh, But I want you to notice a couple of things about this message uh, that Paul shares. And the first one is this, uh, that in the midst of preaching this message to the Jews here at this synagogue, right, he contextualizes the gospel for them. Now, you you may or may not have heard this term used before in a church setting, uh, but contextualization means that you address uh, your message or what you're trying to convey to the audience so that it makes sense to them. And so what I mean by this is that Paul is addressing them as Israelites because he knows their story and he knows their historical background and where they're coming from, right? So as he begins to preach to them, starting in verse 16, Uh, He's going to talk about God's deliverance from Egypt and and how uh, God had been with the Israelites even when they were in Egypt and how God made them into a nation and was faithful to them. He's going to move into addressing Saul and then David, and he's going to focus on Jesus uh, being of David's line and why that's important because Israel was looking for a Messiah that would come through the line of David. Um, Then he's going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ Uh, to them. And what we need to understand is that when we are sharing the gospel with somebody, when we're talking about the good news of what Jesus has done in our lives, and subsequently in the lives of, of those that we may be sharing with, we need to know our audience, right? Paul is preaching to Jews Therefore, he knows what they are thinking about. He knows their heart questions. He knows what they would know historically about God and what they would be looking for in the midst of living their daily lives. And therefore, right, what this says to us as I read this passage, here's what I think God is communicating to us some almost 2,000 years later. We need to know who we're talking to. Right, if you've been at Aletheia Church the last seven months or so, we've been consistently talking about this theme of who is your one? Who is one person you want God to save? Who is one person you want to see uh, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? And so here's, here's what I would ask you. What do you know about your one? What, what are their heart questions? What are they wrestling with? Right, maybe they're, they're wrestling with loneliness right now. How does the gospel speak to them in that loneliness? Here's what I would say, God invites us into his family. If you're lonely, hurting, confused, isolated, God invites you into a family and ultimately into the body of Christ so that you can be known by God, but also known by others around you, fully loved, fully accepted and embraced with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe in the midst of this pandemic that is outbreaking all over the world, you're one is scared. How does the gospel speak to us in the midst of fear? It says, "I would say this: that God meets us, that God is sovereign. God is not taken surprise by a viral pandemic that's affecting the globe, and ultimately, God promises us a future with no sin, a future with no pain, a future with no death." Guys, that the gospel speaks to us in so many arenas. Maybe you're one is experiencing shame. Right, One of the things that I've seen consistently over the last couple of days of reading stories of people that have been infected by the coronavirus is this, how many people did I infect and I didn't know about it and the shame that they carry from that because they didn't take seriously the precautions to isolate themselves when they started feeling sick. Here's how the gospel speaks to us in the midst of our shame and disobedience that God in his mercy sent Jesus to take on our shame and gives us his perfection. And God no longer looks at us in the midst of our failure, but he looks at us and he sees Christ's perfection and beauty in us. We must know who we are talking to so that we address the questions and objections of the heart because the Bible answers all these objections clearly throughout scripture. That the gospel's not just for the West. It's not just for a particular people group. It wasn't just for Jews. But the gospel speaks to every people group, to every tribe, nation, and tongue, and that we can, as followers of Christ, contextualize that message to answer the heart questions of others and not be answering questions that they don't have. Here's the second thing we're gonna see about Paul's message as he preaches it. And that's this, that he stays on message <laughs> while preaching and talking to the Jews. Notice how Paul tells this story, right? He talks of God. He shares the story of Israel. He shares the story of the kings of Israel and how the promise of the Messiah uh, to their people would come through the line of David, ultimately to Israel. He doesn't deviate from God. He moves through the story of Israel to get to Jesus. How often do we get bogged down in the details when we're sharing the gospel with somebody? Right. I remember a couple of years ago when I first moved to Gainesville, I was working at a bank part-time here in town. And I had a wonderful coworker, worker uh, and we were working together on a Saturday. And Saturdays tended to be pretty slow um, at our branch, and so we had plenty of time to talk together. And I started to share with her why my family had moved to Gainesville to start this church. And I, and I, I moved into the story of how Jesus had really saved my life in college, how he how he had completely redeemed me, changed my life, changed my heart, and given me uh, new thoughts, new desires that my life had just been radically transformed by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the funny thing was is, you know, I tend to take myself as being someone that can read other people's thoughts and emotions and kind of what they're thinking, and she's tracking with my story, and I can notice her facial expressions, and she's got questions, and she seems super engaged, and I could tell that that the story of what Jesus had done in my life was attractive to her. But then something happened, right? She started talking about same-sex attraction and homosexual marriage and uh, issues with the LGBTQ community. And and here's what I would say to that. God's word talks about these things. And, And it is important for Christians to engage in tough discussions and not push them to the side and treat them as if they don't matter. But in that moment, I gave into a debate on secondary matters instead of focusing my message on what really mattered. And that was sharing the good news of what Jesus had done for her. See, it ended up being a distraction because I let it be a distraction. If I had told her, hey, I think God's word has some things to say about that, but I don't think it's super important to the discussion we're having here at this moment. I could have stayed on the topic of Jesus of what Jesus had done for her and of what Jesus had done for every member of the LGBTQ community as well. That Jesus doesn't uh, just look at those that would follow certain cultural standards and meet them, but that Jesus loves people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and whatever sin that they might have a proclivity towards. That God meets us in those places and that is important for us if we're going to witness faithfully to the glory of Jesus Christ that we stay on message. Because here's what our goal is. We're trying to answer this question for the world. What has God done for you? What has God done for you? This is Paul's entire strategy when he's in this synagogue, to talk about what God has done for Israel and subsequently the entire world and why that is such good news. He doesn't need to get bogged down in the details of the law. He doesn't need to get bogged down in the details of Leviticus. He wants to share with them and help them to understand that God had said he would make a way way, and he has finally made a way in Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement would be, as you are considering how you are sharing your faith with others, are you getting bogged down in details or are you staying on message? And the last thing I want you to notice about Paul's uh, message here is this. This message is entirely about Jesus. It's centered on Jesus. It starts with the goal of getting to Jesus, and it stays on message about Jesus the entire time. If you guys have been at a church for any extended period of time, you have heard me say this it is all about Jesus here. We love Jesus, He is the best. Right? This is one of those moments where I don't need to be super theological. I don't need to go crazy. We love Jesus here and we are not ashamed of it. We make no bones about it that this church exists by Jesus and for the glory and renown of Jesus. If you look at Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 39, let me read those to you. And I want you to notice how Paul sums up his message to them by saying, It's all about Jesus. That's it. It's all about him. And we bring you. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Look at the good news that Paul shares with the Israelites or the Jewish men and women of this congregation in Antioch. He says, God promised this to us. We know it. We know that he's promised it from these Psalms. We know all the things that God has shared with us over time. That what you need to understand though, is that God promised this and then God fulfilled it through Jesus by raising him from the dead. And that through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins and we are freed from the power of sin and death. Guys, that is a message focused on Jesus, on making much of Jesus and what he has done. And so the question is, is one, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, God's only son, came 2,000 years ago and gave his life willingly as a ransom for your sin and rebellion to God? And that when he went to the cross, he took on your sin, your rebellion, and died in your place. And then he gives you his righteousness, his standing before the father so that you might be adopted into the family of God. Do you believe that? Have you responded to that? And if you have, are you preaching a message that focuses on that? If we want to be the church, we must not only continue to be on mission, but we must share the gospel and we must share the gospel clearly in our presentation. People are being pushed away from new life in Christ because we want to debate issues that don't center around the person and work of Jesus. Guys, don't let that be our story. Right, let's focus on Jesus and make it all about him and let's allow God through the work of the Holy Spirit to work out the details afterward. Let's move into our fourth point, our last point that we see here in Acts chapter 13 is this. We see the church at Antioch participating in gospel-centered multiplication. And for those of you that aren't (laughs) familiar with our church, I know that's pretty churchy. So here's what I mean by that, that the church is growing. And as the church grows, it's not a uh, community center. It's not a uh, country club of people that are trying to have a good time. No, it's a group of people gathering together for their common love of Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. Uh, Notice here in Acts chapter 13, the response to the preaching of the gospel Uh, People literally beg Paul and Barnabas to return to the synagogue the following week and preach again. And as they return again to preach, some begin to reject the message. Look at uh, verses 45 through 47 uh, with me. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the things I just, I think is fascinating, and and we're going to see this more and more as we keep working through uh, the book of Acts, uh, is that everywhere Paul goes, a riot ends up breaking out, right? I think it's kind of important to understand that if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to preach a clear message, and if we're going to participate in gospel-centered multiplication, there's going to be some pushback, (laughs) that there are gonna be people that don't like what we are about, uh, what we are sharing, what we are telling others to do. Uh, what, I, I've heard one uh, pastor friend of mine out in Texas, he calls it riot evangelism, that every time Paul participates in evangelism, a riot breaks out. Um, and so Paul just responds to them. He, you know, he's, he's, He seems from the account that Luke shares here in Acts 13, he seems calm. He's like, look, you guys deny God God told us to go to you. You're denying God. We've also been sent to the Gentiles. We're not gonna stop preaching the good news of what Jesus has done. And I love the response to what Paul says to them. Even in the midst of him right, condemning the Jews who are denying the gospel, right, he still continues to preach the good news and say it's for everyone, not just for Jews. And look at the response of the Gentiles in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. There's rejoicing, there's happiness, right? For those of you guys that came to faith later in life, the way that I did, you can relate with this, right? The moment that you realized the depth and the magnitude of what you have done towards God because of your sin, and then understood the magnitude of God's grace to cover that sin with the blood of Jesus, you understand this type of rejoicing. You understand the beauty of God making a way for you when there was no way. And I love what Luke shares here. He says at the end of verse 48, "'And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed.'" Guys, here, here is something we need to understand about gospel-centered multiplication, something we need to understand about being the church, something we need to understand about preaching a clear and concise message. God is sovereign in salvation. And, and, and I know that this is a, a hot button issue uh, in the church that there have been entire denominations formed over this, but let me just share something with you. You want God to be sovereign. Trust me. If God, Philosophically speaking, if God is not sovereign, he's unable to act or move. He's dependent upon you. He's dependent upon me. Guys, I spent the first 20 years of my life being my own God. I didn't do a very good job. Some of you guys can relate with me on this one. Some of you guys still struggle like I do of running back, right, to trying to take control of your own life. And I can assure you this, every time I try to do that, it doesn't end up going well. But when I surrender my sovereignty, which isn't really there in the first place, over to God, understanding that the all creating, all knowing creator and power of the univ- power and God of the universe right, is in charge of every minute detail, And there's great comfort there, right? Even staring down a viral outbreak and pandemic doesn't seem quite so crazy anymore. Because what if God in his mercy has already given us all the tools we need in his common grace to fight this thing, to practice social distancing? Maybe there's some medicine out there that we haven't fully seen that might combat this thing. You want God to be sovereign, even in salvation, because you want God to have said, Kevin, you know what? Despite your failings, despite your sin, despite your rebellion, I choose you. I choose to love you. I choose to send my son to die for you. I choose to send him to cover your sin and impute his righteousness into you and I choose to adopt you into my family, into the family of God. Right? It says that everyone who had been appointed to eternal life believed. And here's the last kind of important thing to see there. The sovereignty of God does not destroy the responsibility of man. Right? God in his grace and mercy appoints to eternal life, but we also respond and believe. And I'm not gonna get into a seminary discussion on how we break down what that might look like. But what we should see here is that God's grace appoints us in divine election to be saved and that humans respond and believe in the gospel because of God's initiation and in love. What should be seen here is that God's grace empowers the Gentiles to believe and enter into God's family. And there's no one debating, God, you didn't give me a chance. God, you stole my free will. No, there's just rejoicing because God has made a way when there was no way. And in verse 49, he says this, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Guys, you see what happens when a church gathers with intentionality. They take seriously the commands of God to worship, to be diverse, to pray, to study the Bible, to know God's word, right? When you take God seriously together in a group, guess what starts happening? You start moving together on mission as a church and as a body, right? And where more than one are doing the work of God together, there's power in that. And as that spirit empowers mission, there's clear articulation of the gospel and the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us. And as that message is clearly articulated gospel-centered disciples are made and are multiplied. Disciples are made, and in turn, those disciples start sharing the good news with others. Disciples make disciples. Guys, here's what I would encourage you to think through. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his witnesses, he says in Acts 1.8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul shares with the church at Corinth that we are all ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. These aren't suggestions from God. They're not even necessarily commands of God, although they are secondarily, but they're statements of fact about who we are in Christ. That in Christ, we are invited into the family of God and in being invited into the family of God, we get to make much of him by witnessing of his glory to others. And so if we're going to participate in gospel-centered multiplication, I think it's important for us to understand what does it look like to be a disciple. We're going to share in uh, the chat section of the live stream right now with you uh, the Aletheia Church PDP, as we call it, our personal discipleship plan. And here's, here's why we have one of those. We believe it's important that we actually understand what we're aiming for and what our goals are in being a disciple of Jesus. And so we've broken it down into six categories for you guys of things that we think you should be pursuing faithfully so that you might become a growing follower of Jesus Christ, which is our entire mission here. We want to lead people to become growing followers of Jesus Christ. And here's what those six things are going to look like. Go ahead and pull that uh, PDP up, uh, share it right? Uh, Download it, fill it out, print it, whatever you need to do, but be thinking about these things and you're actually going to go through these things in your gospel communities, in your Zoom communities this upcoming week as well. But here's the things that we think should be going on, that you need to be filling your minds with truth, uh, that you are doing things that are going to fuel your affections for God. Uh, We believe that we should be sharing God's love as a witness to the world. We believe that growing disciples of Jesus show God's love as a church member. Meaning that you should be a member of the local church. So if you're joining us for the first time this morning, uh, you live in Gainesville, but you don't have a local church home, make a Lathe your church home. When we start gathering again in a couple of weeks, you can become a member here and you don't need to wait until we start meeting together in person either. Message us, right? Send us a message through Facebook or send us an email and we will start getting into the you into community already. But we believe that God wants you to be a member of a local church. And then we believe that we should be spreading God's glory among the nations. What does it look like for us to share the gospel with those not just in our own neighborhood, but in neighborhoods globally? And lastly, we believe that growing followers of Jesus uh, are making disciple makers amongst a few people, doing the exact thing we see here in Acts 13. That the glory of God goes forward. That the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. How does that happen? Because if I share with two or three people the reality of what Jesus has done, and I engage them with the gospel, I encourage them in the gospel, and I equip them on how they can preach a clear message, how they can make disciples, and then empower them to share that message themselves, we're going to see viral, and I use that word intentionally, <laughs> right? Multiplication of the gospel. Because maybe one of us can have influence amongst five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, maybe even 11 or 12 people. But some of us are only going to be amongst two or three people, maybe four. Maybe Maybe some of us are just going to have influence with one person. But you start adding that together, and those people start making disciples, right? And over the course of the lifetime, we will see hundreds and thousands of people's lives altered by the reality of what Jesus has done if we simply just remain faithful to what God has asked us to do. Understanding that in the midst of all of this, God empowers us through the power of his Holy Spirit to be the church. As we see the gospel spreading, we see Paul and Barnabas making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The fact that I am here on a stage in an empty room on March 21st of 2020 is a direct reflection of the faithfulness of the church of Antioch, the church of Jerusalem, and everyone who has shared the gospel since then. As we are living, breathing examples of God's faithfulness to his church in the book of Acts. So to be the church, I would ask you this question, who are you discipling? I'm not talking about conversations over coffee, and I love coffee. I'm not talking about conversations over coffee. I'm talking about how do we respond to the commands and teachings of Jesus and teach others to respond to them as well so they might experience life and joy and peace and it might go well with them knowing that God has done what he has done for them. How do I teach people to parent well to the glory of God? How do I encourage people to work well to the glory of God? How do I encourage people to love their friends, their family, their spouse, their kids to the glory of God? Guys, do you know that the Bible even tells us that we can rest to the glory of God? That's discipleship, learning to do these things so we might make much of him. How can I pray for and encourage others to teach them so that they might teach others about Jesus? Because that is why we're here. right, church, we are here to spread the glory of Jesus. So let me close with just a few thoughts. 2020 is by far the most interesting time that I have <laughs> had in my 34 years on this earth so far. I'm, I'm in this, I'm three months into the, into year 35 and I have seen a lot, I feel like at this point. 2020 is definitely topping that list. Like, you know that tends to be a, a frequent thing like you know people get to the end of the year and they're like, I'm so glad this year's over, I can't wait for the next year. I think we would all agree 2019 was pretty sweet compared to what we're walking through in 2019. And yet I'm not hopeless. I'm not. As a matter of fact, the crazy thing is, I think it's probably only going to get more interesting in the coming weeks and months as economies start to lose 25, 30% of their GDP, right? according to some estimates. right? People lose jobs, healthcare, whatever that may be. To be honest, it would be easy to stand here and say, man, there's not a whole lot to be hopeful about. And yet as I stand here, as I prayed, and even last night as I I prayed with people from our church, right, for God to move in us, I'm filled with hope. Because I believe that the church for the first time in my lifetime as an adult has a beautiful opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a way that we have not had in quite some time. So how will we respond? How will we respond to this suffering in our day? I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon that that, uh, Dan Green and Pastor Daniel Espy preached a couple weeks ago on suffering. Timely messages that we did not realize were going to have such a lasting effect on us, but they were preached just uh, two and three weeks ago. And here's what I would say. I believe that God calls us to respond the exact same way the church at Antioch responds in the midst of the suffering and persecution that they were experiencing as well. Because we learned that the church of Antioch was born out of persecution and suffering of the early church in Jerusalem and the scattering of Christians. And so how will we respond? We'll gather. And when we can't gather in person, by God's grace, we have the technology to gather online. And we can't gather online Go to your neighborhood and each of you sit in a corner of your yard and pray for one another while keeping at least six feet between you. But gather to the glory of God, being intentional to worship, being intentional to understand and know and read the word of God, being intentional to pray for what God is doing in your life and in the lives of others and in the lives of our leaders. How will we be mission-minded? First and foremost, one of the most primary ways you can be mission-minded in this season is you can listen to what our authorities are asking us to do. That you can try to physically distance yourself from others during this season until our our officials say that it is safe to return to normal activities. That is one of the primary ways you can be mission-minded. But another way that you can be mission-minded is if you have someone that you know that is more at risk in this season, you can serve them. Go to the grocery store for them and leave their groceries on the front porch, right? Take care of uh, mowing their grass, right? Take care of uh, yard work for them. Serve them, take the trash out. Whatever it may be, there are things you can do to serve vulnerable populations in this time. And you can let them know that you choose to do that because Jesus first served and loved you, which will inevitably leave you an opportunity to preach a clear message. Guys, I'm, I'm usually not a big fan of social media. I'm really not. I'm usually not a fan of uh, these various media, but they're going to be inundated with people over the course of the next several weeks. What if when we scrolled through timelines or Twitter feeds or Instagram pictures or snaps or whatever it is, TikToks, whatever it is that people are using now, And instead of getting all the bad news and the terrible news that we see, we instead share the good news of hope that we have in our hearts because of what God has done for us. Knowing that even this body can be destroyed, but the soul that resides inside of it is forever bought with and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed, and that we long for one day where we break free from these broken, condemned bodies and are given new bodies, resurrected bodies that will see no more pain, no more death, no more sin, no more shame, no more sickness. Guys, I long for that. And nothing brings the reality of that more strongly than when our own Mortality is put before us. We live in a time where we are being faced with that daily. Preach a message of hope and why you are hopeful in this season. And lastly, how will you make disciples? One, I would say like this, you can start by being serious about your own personal discipleship plan. There's a reason why we shared that link with you. Get some goals, make a plan, get after it. Number two, if you're like me, I'm going to be super intentional with my kids. I'm going to be super intentional with my kids in this season, right? Um, I can share resources with you. Feel free uh, to put in the chat whether that would be something that you would find helpful if you're a parent, but some resources of things I'm going to use in the coming weeks to help encourage my kids and keep their thoughts and focus on Jesus when they are not able to be here at Alathia Jr. being discipled by our wonderful Aletheia Jr. volunteers and leaders. You can do this with your roommates though. You can do this with your friends, right? I know that you guys are gonna be FaceTiming with people. I know that you're gonna be talking with people. Check in on them and see how they're doing and share with them how God is impacting you and how you believe that he can impact them. And so here's how I would encourage us to respond. And in future weeks, we may even find a way to help us drink digitally, how we might take communion together. I'm wrestling through the theological implications of what it means to take communion in your own room, but yet doing it together in spirit via YouTube. Uh, So I'll get back to you in a future week on that. Uh, But during the next song, will you do something for me? As As you cue up that next song, will you pray silently as the music plays? Just let the music play. And as the music plays, uh, will, you, will you pray by yourself or with someone uh, that you are with? When you ask him to do the following things, will you ask God to give you a vision on how to love Jesus more? To grow as a follower of Jesus, to obey him and experience the joy of knowing him in this season? Will you pray and ask God how he might use you to tell others about Jesus? And will you ask God how you might be intentional with others in this season. And church, here's what I believe. I believe that God will answer us in this time. I believe that he's gonna be faithful to answer those prayers. And I believe that we are gonna see much fruit because our work will not be in vain if we seek to make much of him in this time. I love you guys. Go and be the church even in the midst of social distancing.